The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Hello and welcome to CPR Unplugged and thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Michael, and in today's episode, we are going to be talking to Belinda and David. Now, Belinda worked for CPR for many years until her recent retirement, and she's a beloved member of the CPR community. And we invited her to the podcast to discuss her experiences with COVID, which uh, she had a pretty severe case of in recent months. Hi, Belinda. Hi, David. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Hi, there. Michael. All right, Belinda. So let's start with you. I know it's been a tough year. That's an understatement, of course. But yes. tell us how uh, how did it happen? Uh, when did you realize you were infected with COVID, and uh, what what happened after that? Well, I worked on New Year's Day, and I started feeling very tired after that. And I just thought it was because I had been working a lot of hours and right after the holidays. So it was a stress. I thought it was just a stress and just the paperwork from my job. (laughs) And, but I was so tired and I even texted Juliet, my supervisor at the time and let her know ahead of time that guess what? I'm not feeling so good today. Might call in sick tomorrow, but I didn't. I kept on working. And finally, on the sixth, I just couldn't take it anymore. I thought, Oh, I just can't. I just can't. I had company. And I felt like I could not sit up and greet them, or be a good hostess. So I excused myself went to bed. And the next morning, I just woke up with a fever. And that's how it all started with the fever. And it wouldn't let up. My husband and I kept on, well, he then started feeling sick as well. We started taking ibuprofen and it would go down for a while. And it hovered between 99 and 103.5 or something. It was pretty high and it, I felt miserable. My son at the same time, he's a truck driver and he comes in and out every few months. He was getting sick as well. He was home for the holidays. He was getting sick as well. And finally, uh, I got tested. Three days later, I got the results and I tested positive. My husband, I don't know if, I don't think he was tested, but I couldn't take it anymore. So I asked him a few days later to take me to urgent care just for medication so that I could start healing. I thought it was a bad flu because I had heard stories about people getting COVID and it was feeling like the flu and cold, but after a few days it would go away, but mine was not going away. So I found out I had double pneumonia and my husband was given instructions to take me directly to the hospital to be admitted. So that's what happened. I ended up going to the hospital at Abrazo. And as soon as I walked into the ER, the lobby, I just collapsed in a wheelchair. It was it a wheelchair. Yes, it was a wheelchair. Yes, it was a wheelchair. I, 
I collapsed and I don't remember anything else other than that. I just remembered being wheeled away and given oxygen. And that was it. I don't re have any recollection of anything else after that. Oh, wow. Until I woke up <laughs> uh, almost a week and a half later. Okay, so David, can you take us uh, through the story from that point where Belinda loses yes. recollection? Uh, what was happening there? Well, as we walked into Abrazo West, they were magnificent the whole time because Belinda mm -hmm. was there for exactly a month. Uh, in mm -hmm. the ER, when I walked her in, I already had her medical card and her uh, driver's license in one hand, and I helped her into the wheelchair. And a young man just rushed out there, the receptionist. Mm -hmm. uh, I handed her the, the information card she needed. I knew they wanted me out the door right away. So Belinda doesn't even remember it, but I gave her one last kiss because we were all aware of what was going on since the year before. Sometimes people survive it, sometimes they don't. So that was our last kiss and she didn't remember a thing. That's a first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it from then on i didn't hear a thing for for from belinda for i would say two maybe three days and so i started calling the the er first and i put together a care package so i needed to know where she where she was a battery for her uh, phone uh, and little things that i knew she was going to need in the hospital my granddaughter, who never left my side for the whole time, just stayed with me here. She's uh, in her early 20s, so she's old enough to help grandpa. Uh, <laughs> she never left my side, so she drove me down to the hospital. I jumped out, and I just gave him the, the receptionist, Belinda's name. And uh, sure enough, a day later, it all showed up in her room where she was able to communicate, though she didn't because... By the time she got the equipment, I think it was on day, late day two, maybe day three, is when I uh, got a call from her nurse that she had been uh, sedated, intubated, and put on a ventilator. And uh, she described the settings as not the highest settings, uh, but uh, somewhere in the middle of the road. Uh, I always felt that they were being honest with me. And uh, they were always, whatever question I asked, they fill me in. It wasn't until about, oh gosh, how long were you on the ventilator, honey? Nine days? Nine days. Nine I know, days. I guess. I was told I was yes. on a ventilator for nine days. <laughs> yes, at, at nine days, but uh, somewhere a little past the middle of it. And I mean, sometimes the nurses would call me or I'd call them and uh, we'd, we'd exchange information and it, it was all always you know, neutral information. It wasn't until I talked to the doctor herself, awesome woman, this doctor. And when she was explaining, I, I made the, I think good fortune of asking her about, well, is Belinda stable at least right now? And she says, I don't like the word stable, which mm -hmm. led to a long, um, thank God she gave me the time. Uh, it, we had a nice long conversation on what, the word stable meant to her, uh, what the word stable meant to the general public. And so I rephrased everything we talked about and I go, so I'm not, we're not working on day to day. Uh, we're not working on hour to hour. 
she's only stable minute to minute and it can go either way minute to minute and the doctor said correct uh, as you can imagine that was a blow to the kidneys and i had asked the doctor that same conversation earlier that i needed the brutal truth and uh if anybody ever wants to to get all the information that's what they have to ask for give me the brutal truth so that i i can have something to work with once all that i got the information i get, made the calls to not calls because i didn't want to get on the telephone and just having to listen to a bunch of people oh i'm so sorry what can we do so i started a bunch of threads uh mm -hmm. on texting and I had one thread for Belinda's family. I had another thread for my family. I had another thread for the grandchildren and our sons. And everybody got the sanitized version of what was truly going on. Mm -hmm. They, at one point, the nurses were telling me that they were ready to try to extubate Belinda and uh, to see if she could tolerate it. Not many people tolerate it the first time they tried to remove them off the ventilator. And the doctor called me late that night and I brought that up. So how did it work out? Did you try it? And she goes, we weren't scheduled to do that. So there was miscommunication between the nurses, the doctors, and I took it in stride. Mm -hmm. Other people reacted to it and I go, it wasn't really gonna be today. And oh, they should be, you know, pay more attention to the flow of information. But I understood what the doctors and nurses were going through. Uh, my Belinda wasn't the only person in there. She was in a room full of people that were on ventilators and probably the nurses were doing two or more patients at the same time. Mm -hmm. And David, so, uh, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but uh, or we are talking about late January from a time frame perspective, just so people understand. Yes, we're, we're going to, from the... Uh, Let's take this to the 19th is when she finally entered ICU. Yeah. So in the big picture, we are talking about the height of the pandemic, the height of ICU uh, hospitalization. Absolutely. Michael. Uh, absolutely. So, so, yeah, I can understand that overcrowding and difficulty getting to every patient. Well, that, that level uh, of care. That's as needed. an example, when Belinda was on the ventilator, she was not in ICU for the first three days. They kept her in the emergency room until a bed opened up in ICU, mm -hmm. but yeah. she was still on the ventilator for those three days. Right. Uh, then when uh, they pulled her off the ventilator after her nine days, they kept her in ICU because they could not find, not find a bed in the regular hospital uh, area. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, was, uh, it was interesting in that uh, when she woke up and we were able to finally talk and converse, um, I, I had an idea of what was going on because you, I worked as a paramedic and a, and a firefighter for the city of Phoenix for, I don't remember, 21 years or something like that. So uh, I understood a little bit about anesthesia. I understand about paralyzing people. But what happened to Belinda shocked me because she was paralyzed, couldn't answer the phone, couldn't lift a they gave her milk at the uh, hospital. Maybe this is where you can comment, uh, <laughs> Billy, is that the, you, how many times did you spill your milk on your chest trying to get it with your own hands? Yeah. Right. I, I was just beside myself because when I woke up, I didn't know where I was. 
they asked me, I, uh, people were hovering over me with doctors and I guess a nurse and the technicians, mm -hmm. they were hovering over me. They were, there was a neuro uh, doctor, um, internist, then my own doctor, COVID doctor, and some other doctor that had to do with my ventilator, resp respiratory doctor. Or pulmonologist, so were, probably. But right. Yes. I, I, oh, that's right, the pulmonologist. There were just a lot of people surrounding me, and I, I was like, I don't know where I am. And they asked me for my name, and it was like, it came to me very suddenly. I knew my name, I knew my date of birth, but when they asked me where I was and time of day, or I didn't know where I was, but I surmised that I was in a hospital because of these, you know, the, all the monitors that looked like a hospital bed, but I couldn't move. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't move my head a little bit. I was very weak. I couldn't speak very well. I could barely breathe. They had taken the, the, um, all the device out of me. The, the, the ex, when they ex, oh, extubated, extubated me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was very interesting because it, it, was, it was a little painful. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of pressure coming out of my chest, out of my throat and my mouth. And all of a sudden, I feel a, a rubber tube touching my face and my neck. But after that, I, I could barely talk. My voice was very raspy. And I didn't know where I was. But I, the people surrounding me, they look like people from outer space. They wore all this PPE, they call it, mm -hmm. yeah. personal protected equipment, all these uh, headgear with masks and, and the covers over mm -hmm. their face. They even wore gloves, and it was just very strange to me anyway. But no one could come into my, into my room unless they, were, they wore their PPE. And I, I couldn't move. That was the most interesting aspect of my recovery. Well, after I was extubated, is that I was paralyzed. Mm -hmm. I couldn't lift a finger, I couldn't move a muscle, I, I could barely talk. And that continued until I went to the physical rehabilitation facility. And that was after a month of being there. And I went to the physical rehabilitation for another two weeks. That's when they lifted me Two people had to lift me out of bed, put me in a wheelchair, and leave me there um, for a while. And they wanted me to strengthen my, my muscles so I could sit up again. Mm -hmm. Because during that time in ICU, in the regular hospital, I was spoon-fed. I couldn't right. move. I, if I wanted to talk to my husband, which was every day, a couple times a day, <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask the nurse or the medical technicians, the medical assistants to help me to dial my husband. They would dial him 
put him on speaker and then place the phone on my chest. Mm-hmm. And that's how I would talk to my husband. And this continued for, for a long time until I went to, to the rehab facility. Mm-hmm. So I did spill a lot on myself because <laughs> they, they tried mm-hmm. to put a, t- that when they would bring in my food and my, my drinks, they would put it on the table and then they, they push the table close to me and they, of course, move the, the part of the bed that would make me sit up somewhat mm-hmm. so I could, I could sit up and, and eat. But I couldn't, I could, my, my hand-eye coordination was completely off. It looked pretty close, but when it came down to it, I couldn't reach it. I couldn't reach mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. And it, it took such great effort for me to inch my way finger by finger <laughs> to my drink. And once I had it in both my hands, of course, it would end up on me <laughs> along with uh, ice if I, if I had ice water or iced tea. But if they did not feed me, I, I couldn't eat. I tried to eat by myself and they even tried for me to eat by myself. They, they would just leave my food at, at some point toward the end of my stay there. They would leave my food there, but I couldn't cut anything. I couldn't open milk mm-hmm. cartons. Yep. It was tough. So I just didn't eat. Mm-hmm. Were you able to swallow? Okay. I was able to swallow, but I, if they gave it to me, if they cut it up in small pieces, but I would only have a few bites and I was already mm-hmm. full. I couldn't eat mm-hmm. anymore. So yeah. the good thing about it is I did lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> There's a silver lining, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that was tough. And you were <clears throat> going through that for about a month. Were you doing physical therapy where they come in and kind of trying to work your muscles to get you back to, you know, yes. having the strength? I did that twice before I left the hospital physical therapist and occupational therapist would come in just twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tried to sit me up, but I couldn't sit up. I just would plop back down. I mean, they would catch me, of course. Right. <laughs> they tried to stand me up with belts. That's how they would lift me with the belt attached to me. And at one point it was also attached to the physical therapist too. So we would be attached together and they would have me try to walk and of course I couldn't move my legs my legs felt like lead I couldn't move anything and sometimes even now I still experience some lingering effects of COVID and I'm I am blaming it on COVID because I never (laughs) felt this way before my legs feel like lead sometimes and my my feet and painful my feet get painful and when I walk with my walker, I feel like I'm dragging weight on my, on my ankles. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to describe how I feel to anybody except to use the word lead. My legs feel so heavy. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing better, though. I mean, you called when I believe I was two weeks home at that yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And I was still having issues standing up I couldn't I couldn't do anything hardly without assistance since then 
Well, I was always in a wheelchair. But since then, I started using a walker. Then a, I graduated to a four-wheel walker <laughs> with mm-hmm. a seat so that whenever we went, we would go out. And I just started using that maybe three weeks ago. Two, three weeks and ago, yes. Yes. And then I graduated to a cane. So now mm-hmm. I'm using a cane to get around. But sometimes that's even difficult because sometimes I still lose my balance and I feel like I'm going to fall, but my husband's always there. (laughs) I've gotten my, my appetite back. So I do get hungry now, whereas before I I wasn't getting hungry and everything tasted terrible. I could still taste, I guess, because everything tasted terrible, but now everything is tasting great. Great. So yeah, and that's one thing that uh, people often say about uh, the COVID symptoms, that that loss of taste that might take months and months to recover. Right. So what was interesting about this is that my family was impacted by not only my, my illness, but a lot of my grandkids Five of them got five of them got COVID, but they had very mild symptoms. For example, they lost their taste, Mm -hmm. their sense of taste or sense of smell. And they had some of them low grade fever and it would go away after a couple, two, three days. But I had a son who was hospitalized last year for COVID. And then I had another son, my truck driver's son, who was at Mm -hmm. home at the time for the holidays he ended up at the VA hospitalized for during the time that I was hospitalized. No, he said, Mm -hmm. I thought he said nine days, but um, during the the time that I was hospitalized, he was in. So my husband was not only dealing with me and my ordeal, but he was also dealing, having to deal with my son who was, a, a lot VA. better off than I was, though. Yeah. He, he yeah. didn't have to get ventilated, but he was still pretty bad. I can even imagine, David, how you, <laughs> you pulled through this. <laughs> I know. Uh, it, 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 it was very stressful. A lot of people yeah. forget that the, the family uh, is going through this at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my saving grace was is that my granddaughter knows me. So she knows that when I want to be left alone, it's nothing personal. And I go into my, like right now, in my little cave. And uh, so that I can sit and, and if I need to cry, I cry. If I need to pray, I pray. And, you know, I needed to talk to Belinda. While she was ventilated, uh, we had conversations multiple times a day. Uh, to me, I was talking to her. And it, 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 it's true what we always told each other that we're soulmates then by golly, our souls have to be communicating, I thought. (laughs) Uh, We did have one time when she got ready, they were getting ready to move her out of the hospital. The the last weekend, uh, Mm -hmm. on Friday, uh, the Friday afternoon, she'd had enough of staring at the tiles on the walls (laughs) and counting the web little threads (laughs) from the spider webs. That, that she called me up and wanted me to to help her escape from the hospital mm-hmm. and I'm going I know she's stressed I know she can't leave the hospital uh I'm in a lot of trouble right now uh because there was no right way to do it well uh it, you know 
it was very stressful for you, wasn't it, Billy, at that time? It was you... because let me tell you, I couldn't move. And mm -hmm. I had to wait on somebody to come into my room to reposition my body because my back would hurt. So they would, it would have to, uh, they would have to get somebody else to come. So they'd leave and get somebody else. It would take another half hour before they would come back. They had to, if it, it took remembered. two people. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they'd forget or they would <laughs> have to do something else. And it would take an hour for what two was, people to come in to reposition me. Well, so I was very distressed at that point toward the end because I was hurting all over my body and all they would do is give me Tylenol. That's all they would give me. And, and sometimes they wouldn't come in and I couldn't speak up because my voice, my lungs were too weak. And so I couldn't scream out and I could not, for the life of me, I could not hold on to the remote mechanism. The remote, mm -hmm. it, that's the one that consists of the television channels along with the call button for the nurse. I couldn't hold the remote because it was too heavy and I couldn't push buttons mm -hmm. because I was too weak. I couldn't even hold my phone. So of course, by that time, I was very frustrated. And I'm going to be honest, I was very depressed. Mm -hmm. And to the point where I started crying and getting very angry at the nurses for not letting me leave. I wanted to leave. I wanted to come home. And, and the doctor. Yep. And I was, and I told the nurse in my frustration and my distress, I told the nurse to please take the phone and call my son so I can call, you know, talk to him, to my son so they can come in and help me escape. And I had this plan that my youngest son would be the, the driver, the getaway car <laughs> driver. And, and my other two sons would be holding me one on each side to rush me out of the hospital. And I had it all planned out that if anybody gave us any, any problems, they were to just start running faster <laughs> until we reached the getaway car. That's how unfocused um, I was. And in <laughs> so much distress, distress that is, I was even yes. thinking of, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't call my sons. Instead, they called the doctor. The doctor comes in and I explained to the doctor, I don't want to be here anymore. I have to go home. I just have to go home or else I'm gonna go crazy. Even though I'm a doctor of behavioral health, that didn't <laughs> matter at that point. And so she, my, do my female doctor, she says, well, Belinda, do you want to be like this for the rest of your life? Not being able to go to the restroom by yourself, not being able to stand up, not being able to walk, not being able to feed yourself. You wanna stay that way for the rest of your life? And of course, of <laughs> of course not. I said, of course not. I don't want to be like this. That's why I want to go home so I can get better at home. But you need physical therapy so that they can help strengthen your muscles. And they mentioned that my not only my muscles atrophied, but my lungs. It took so long for my lungs to recover from all this. I can I, I still can't 
yell very loudly and I still get short-winded. Every time I yawn, it hurts my chest because I can't breathe very deeply. So I'm still dealing with these issues and it's very frustrating. But at the hospital, the difference was that at the hospital, I could not move. Now I can. So I can do it. It is very doable when you can move an inch or you can move mm-hmm. your arms or, or your legs. I still can't walk very far. In fact, I'm averaging about 1,200 steps a day, mm-hmm. whereas before I wasn't even walking that. So I have made a lot of progress and I'm very proud of the work I put into it because every time I exercise and lift two pound weights or three pound weights, it takes a lot of effort still. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun, yeah. but I don't want to be like this for the rest of my life. I want to recover, even though they said it would take about six months to a year to fully recover. That's the reason that I decided I needed to quit my job mm-hmm. and let somebody else replace me because I couldn't see going, you know, rushing back to work. Mm-hmm. And having to have, you know, deal with these issues. So I took early retirement. I mean, not really early because I am a retirement <laughs> age, but I wasn't planning to retire just yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No complaints from me, though. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously you spoke about the emotional toll. Oh, yes. Yeah, she was very mad at me, Michael. Very, very mad at me because... I didn't, I was always trying to be the voice of reason, but honey, you need to stay there. You're going to get into the rehabilitation hospital eventually. It's just nothing. It's, it's, everything has its own time. And uh, I was not advocating for her. And uh, it's what she said. And I never got upset about that when she was mad at me because I understood wholeheartedly what was going on when while she was getting all her degrees i was sitting right there next to her (laughs) while she bounced questions off me well i felt like i had no advocate because i had no say in anything Mm -hmm. i had no say on being put on a ventilator or not i mean i'm glad they did because i'm alive Mm -hmm. now (laughs) but I, i had no say as to whether or not to go to physical rehabilitation but i'm glad i did because they really forced me to get out of bed mm-hmm. and tremendous and growth through walk. Yes. I couldn't even walk or take two or three steps. I, they put me on the parallel bars mm-hmm. and I could only t- take two steps, but then I increased my steps to 10 to 20, 30, 50, and then the walker going outside to the courtyard. So it, it was, quite a lot that I did at the rehab center and a good learning experience. Yeah. Was there any um, psychological support at, at that center as well? Because it sounds like obviously there's the physical component and then there's the emotional component. That's just as important, right? No, no, they did not offer that. In fact, I had a speech therapist not to work on my speech, but to work on my memory mm-hmm. because I was in a brain fog for so long. And sometimes I still feel like I'm, I'm in la-la land, but um, I know I'm not. It's just that it takes me so long to, to think of something and to make some kind of decisions. Like yesterday, 
I drove. I felt like I was ready. And I came and I only drove within a three mile radius. But when I got home, I was so tensed and stressed mm -hmm. because I couldn't decide whether the brake or the accelerator. And then I, at one point it was too much brake. Another point was too much accelerator. Then I made a slow turn, then a fast turn. And I felt like I was gonna, I thought I was going to run over a pedestrian and the pedestrian was far away. So I just, I just came home very stressed. But at the rehabilitation, I had speech therapy, I had occupational therapy and I had physical therapy. And two doctors would come in and check up on me every day, an internist and respiratory doctor. But, um, and I was very lucky in that my nurse was right outside my door. So I didn't have to scream. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to reach for the night uh, or the remote the call, to, yeah. to call the nurse. Mm -hmm. I could just say, I, you know, I always learned their names and I would just call out to the nurse and they would come in or a medical assistant would come in. So I felt very supported at the rehabilitation center. I had to exercise three hours a day with those therapies, three hours a day, five days a week. And I was there for two weeks and from zero movement, two weeks later, I I started walking with the walker and they wheeled me out to the car, but I was able to get into the car because I had, they had made, made me practice it <laughs> uh, beforehand, how to get into a car. And so it, it was not a problem. It, it was awesome. I felt very accomplished. What I was going to say, by the way, is that when Belinda drove yesterday, it wasn't like she took off all by herself and disappeared <laughs> yeah, into the wild blue yonder. My husband was there, thank goodness. <laughs> so, so in your recovery now, Belinda, how do you structure things? Or, or you, do you make you know, plans for what you're going to do the next day to try to kind of keep moving forward? How, how are you handling that piece of the recovery where it's just you and your family? Well, my therapist recommended that I have a routine and keep it. So that's what I do. I start my day taking my sugar levels, my blood pressure, taking my medications and have a cup of tea and, and spend some time with my husband. And now that I can walk, with the cane, I go outside and sit out in my patio, enjoy my bird bath because I love birds and I love the hummingbirds that that are in my pat that come to my patio because we have those hummingbird feeders and a bird bath. So I, I'm just enjoying myself. I do try to stay on a routine with my breakfast and I eat very healthy. And also my lunch and my dinner. Sometimes uh, don't eat dinner because it's just too much or or too late. <laughs> too late in the day. I didn't get hungry until too late, and so I just go to bed early. And lately, I've been I haven't been sleeping all that much. 
when I first got home, and it's only been a month and a half since I've been home. The first, I would say the first couple of days I slept almost nonstop. Continuously, yes. Yes, because I was always tired or sleepy. So I just slept a lot. And then gradually I started sleeping less and less. But mm-hmm. now I just, I still feel like I sleep a lot, go to bed early, get up early. Take a nap. And, take, <laughs> and then I take a nap and I have no problems taking a nap. I just fall asleep very quickly and just feel very accomplished because now in the past couple of weeks, I have been exercising diligently with the two pound weights, three pound weights, knee lifts, leg lifts, whatever I was told to do. And so with that routine, I just stay on that routine. Sometimes I cheat. Sometimes I cheat. And you do see the progress, even though it's slow. Oh, definitely. It, it is slow and I get frustrated. For a while, I was very disappointed in myself because I wasn't running. I want to be running. And mm-hmm. before COVID, I would walk an hour a day before work, before I started work. And that was every day. But after COVID, you know, I'm, I'm just measuring mm-hmm. or counting my steps from 200, 300, 400. Now I'm up to 1,200, and I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> so right. uh, my goal for this month, for April, is to not have to use a cane anymore and to be able to walk a half mile. But my husband says, no, be realistic, maybe a quarter mile. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I, I understand now why they say for severe cases like mine that it may take up to a year to fully recover. Mm-hmm. I mean... I'll probably be able to walk and I mean, normally without a cane, but not like before where I used to speed walk (laughs) and my speed walks were so fast that I would sometimes trip and fall and Mm -hmm. hit my face somehow. And that happened four times in the past, I think five or six years, but Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm walking so fast that I don't have time to, to react to these unlevel sidewalks. Right. (laughs) So what advice would you give to, uh, there's been a lot of people, obviously, that have died from COVID, recovered from COVID, uh, had severe cases like you have. What advice would you give those people that have recovered, but they are in the beginning stages? Just be patient. And so I would say, be patient with yourself. Don't rush your recovery, because then you'll end up getting frustrated and feel very you'd get very disappointed and use your support network. That's what I was going to say. I had a huge support system. My husband, I have grandkids that would come over and, and bring me and my husband, of course, mainly my husband food. My daughter-in-law is a good cook. She would bring me food. She would bring me vitamins. She, you know, whatever. But they would come very regularly. In fact, they're the ones who decorated my window at the rehab center on Valentine's Day. They decorated it with flowers, all you know, on the outside because I wasn't allowed to have visitors at that point. So all my visitors had to be outside, and we we'd see each other through the window. But um, I would say, as a, 
make sure that you have a support system and to use your support system. Talk to your support system. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And the main thing I would say is your faith. My whole time at the hospital, since I was alone, I want to say 90% of the time, well, all the time, except when a nurse would walk in or, you know, they would be constantly walking in and out because every four, four hours, first of all, they had to take my vitals. They would wake me up during the night to take my vitals and to, and to uh, give me medication. But for the most part, I was, I was alone. I wasn't allowed visitors. And so I'm a Christian and I prayed a lot. I remember talking to my Lord, Jesus Christ. I remember talking to him as if he were right there sitting down next to me and telling him like things like, look, Lord, look, Jesus, look at that nurse. Look at her hair. Isn't that pretty? (laughs) And I know it sounds weird, but I had no one else to talk to. And the nurses were always so busy. The technicians, all they wanted to do was take my vitals and change whatever. You know, I I couldn't go to the restroom. Uh, The whole time I was there at the hospital, I never had my hair washed. Mm -hmm. Um, I only, they only brushed my teeth once. And at the rehab center, my occupational therapist, who was a male, um, took over that responsibility of Mm -hmm. showing me what to do to, you know, when I took my shower and, you know, washing my hair and all that stuff, cleaning myself up and things like that. But um, for the most part, I relied a lot on my faith and my walk with the Lord, my constant dialogue with (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Well, it's great to talk to you both. Uh, I'm really grateful that uh, you were willing to come on to the podcast and uh, tell us about your story. It's uh, very touching. Uh, And for those of us here in the company who know you, we, we suffer with David through those difficult weeks, and we're just happy things run that well. And I wanted, we, we need, we do want to thank everybody down at CPR because the, oh. the outpouring of love from everybody there was obvious. The first cards that Belinda got came from CPR employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juliet, uh, you know, sometimes my uh, updates got a little. How can we put this, honey? Uh, a little too romantic, but I was missing my wife and I actually like her a whole lot. So, uh, and I'm just expressing myself and everybody got pretty much close to the same text. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm, all of a sudden I'm reading them again and I'm going, oh my gosh, did I say that? I, you know, I feel it, but maybe I shouldn't have said it out loud. Yeah, no, I mean, Juliet, of course, was sharing all of those updates with us. We're all clinicians. Oh. We, we all understood, and they were very appropriate, David. <laughs> oh, great. Thank so, you, Michael. Yeah, no, thank, thank you for you. coming. It was great talking to you, and uh, I look forward to uh, keeping in touch. Thank you. Yes, thank look you look forward to much. seeing you all again, and I really want to thank CPR, all my uh, Conrad's there, my colleagues, my co-workers, anybody who had anything to uh, with me, like, for example, the schedulers, anything that had to do with um, SMI evaluations. 
-hmm. they, you know, I got a lot of cards. You cannot imagine the outpouring of love I received through this ordeal. And I'm so grateful. So thankful. Right. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you again and take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcast. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 